and welcome to Anomaly Presents, the podcast about genre movies, genre movies that inspired us to start a genre film festival, the Anomaly Film Festival. My name is Matt Knotts, and tonight we're uh, we're kind of on a theme here. The last couple movies we've done have been a little unsung. They, they've got their, their supporters, but, you know, as a whole, people are kind of, hmm. But I, I'm excited to do this one tonight. Uh, we're doing Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Um, it's a movie I'll admit when I was a, a teenager, I saw it at Blockbuster and it, it, um, I thought it was okay, but I never really, it, it didn't stick with me. I watched it again and holy shit was I missing out. Um, <laughs> it is a goddamn masterpiece and I am so excited to, uh, to be talking about it tonight with, uh, two of our, our normal podcast astronauts, Matt and Adam are with us. Hello. Hi there. And, uh. I'll bring him in right now because we were talking a little bit before the show and I feel like he's probably going to have a lot to say. Uh, filmmaker and, and Nightbreed super fan. It's Zach Shieldwachter. Zach, Woo-hoo! welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, we were kind of texting back and forth trying to figure out what movie it was. It wasn't really figuring out so much. I asked you what movie you want to do and you're like, dude, Nightbreed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my number one favorite movie of all time. And I knew I was I was in deep water when you were like, well, what cut do you want to do? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we, we went with the director's cut and mm-hmm. um, it was great. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about why this is uh, one of, if not your favorite movie? Yeah, I remember discovering it on a, a VHS trailer of uh, you guys remember um a video bookstore. It was kind of like a mega chain kind of thing. And that's how I found it. Um, and it just stuck with me. I think it was probably the Danny Elfman score that sucked me in. And I mean, it's an amazing, amazing score. And um, uh, for, for people that had bought the soundtrack for a while, there was a country music track on there that was completely out, like kind of out of the blue and you didn't really get that. And uh that better understanding of it until kind of the later cuts, like it plays a little bit in the film. Um, but with the director's cut from the theatrical cut, there's, there's a lot of differences. I mean, there's uh, Johnny get angry, though, that whole nightclub number that they have, but um, you know, it's, it's a fast, fascinating story uh, in terms of, of, you know, what you define a monster as um, how you combat that, um, you know, acceptance, understanding love death the whole gamut of human emotions and then not so human emotions as well <laughs> so where where should we start if if you haven't seen nightbreed number one hit pause on this and then go watch it um yes so now I, I'll, I'll jump in with this i when people ask me because I, I presented which cut are we watching i always tell people um you know start start historically uh watch the theatrical cut then watch the director's cut. And then if you're able to watch the cabal cut. Now I consider all three of those um, three separate movies. Cause they're so wildly different in, in terms of tone and story. And I mean, it's been a, a kind of a, a weird and wild journey to be able to get those three cuts. And um, I remember hearing briefly uh, that there was actually more footage that was supposedly floating around. Wow. So um, yeah, I, you know, it's it's baffling that that we have this and that, um, I, you know, I love 
I love what was put together, uh, you know, with the, the Blu-ray release that they did. And um, I'm excited for possibly more. So, yeah. Do you have a preferred cut or, or like if you're just going to watch this movie, like one that you default to, like that's the one that you put in to watch? Uh, I think for nostalgia's sake, it's the theatrical cut for me, okay. just because I think that Dr. Decker has a has a stronger role as a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with the director's cut, it kind of shifts and makes the priest more of the ultimate villain. Um, it definitely gives the Sons of Liberty um, a bit more room to be the redneck assholes that they are. Yeah. Um, but the Cabal cut kind of balances all of that and as good as as that is to have all of that footage to round out the story it kind of suffers that kind of fate where you want one great white shark and and now there's instead they're serving you three barracudas <laughs> right <laughs> so i have to ask you because so i just saw the director's cut right before we recorded this for mm-hmm. the first time and i knew nothing about it whatsoever I'm, going on i am so jealous of you that is amazing <laughs> I literally, here's what I knew about it is I was like, as like, I think Clive Barker's name is above the title. I was like, <laughs> and, uh, and I know that it has an Elfman score that I've heard one track from like, mm-hmm. and literally that is all I knew about it before I went in. And so it completely blew my head off and I had so much fun watching this. I thought this was awesome. Um, however, I literally, after we finished it, I kept being like, wait, now I feel like I need to go see the theatrical and then mm-hmm. if I can find the cabal cut, cause I'm so intrigued because mm-hmm. they're like, not just content wise, but I think run times, they're wildly different. Aren't they like, yeah. each one's like over like, is there an hour or 30 minutes in each direction or something? Yeah. It, it was a wild start because um, you know, you had Morgan Creek, they kind of tapped Clive Barker cause you know, he was coming off the success of Hellraiser and they were chasing that new line cinema money you know they wanted the house that freddie built you know they mm-hmm. you know they they looked at at pinhead and and saw you know the same dollar signs that came with you know jason Voorhees, michael myers and Kruger and all that and so they were like oh okay cool let's adapt cabal and in, into a big time feature and we'll have uh barker in the director's chair um that and that was kind of a big step for him as well and he ended up delivering this movie that was just wildly different than what was expected. You know, the, the humans are the bad guys. The monsters are these, you know, melancholy, lovable characters. Yeah. Um, and it, it was just all over the place. And so they kind of, they kind of had their way a bit more with it. And, um, you know, there was all this extra footage and I guess apparently it went on a shelf and a, a storage locker and was kind of forgotten about and lost. And then it was unearthed, you know, 20 some years later and they were able to save a lot of that footage. And that's how they put together the director's cut. Everything I was going to say, every time any studio or any like, I don't know, fan thing talks about like, oh, we discovered more tracks from the recording sessions or we discovered more footage. All, I always assume studios are really well cataloged, but I think it's actually just Ark of the Covenant, end of like the movie, a giant warehouse, somewhat unmarked boxes. Like, yeah. I feel like that's actually what it is. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a matter of of like, we're done with it. Uh, I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. My, my favorite story about that yeah, my favorite yeah. story about that I've heard recently, it was um, 
a Stooges performance that somebody found in the promoter's attic after he died. <gasps> and it was like this legendary, it was like the last show that the the one guy in the Stooges played. And the whole story was like, he was so out of it that he didn't play a note. And it was like in this, the Stooges history forever that, yeah, this was the worst show they ever played. Um, and it's like this, this moment in time that nobody ever had. And then the promoter died and the kid was going up through the attic. And then there was a, a, a reel to reel. It was just Mark Stooges with that date <laughs> 50 years later. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's all I can think of when they're like, oh, yeah, we found that on the shelf. It's like, oh, yeah, these, these amazing pieces of history somebody just threw in their basement or threw in their attic with the hopes that somebody finds it, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. or that no one finds yeah. it. <laughs> it, it. It's the adult version of that shitty Lego set that you forgot about when you were nine. Right. Like your, your, yeah. your parents move out of the house and then all of a sudden here's all your stuff. Oh, hey, look, it, it's <laughs> it's an hour and a half of lost nightbreed. <laughs> right? That'd be amazing. <laughs> so Zach, so you have the cabal cut. Like mm -hmm. how rough or unfinished or finished is it? Uh so the cabal cut, uh Clive Barker had uh, you know, if you check his site, he sometimes puts up, you know, kind of random things, and he had a few copies of that 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 he you know, had released and um, you know, there's the finished product and then there's the, the source material that was, was pretty much VCR tapes, uh, VHS tapes that they, they were able to kind of comb together and kind of digitally massage to try to match up as best they could. Um, but I mean, the, the, the director's cut to the theatrical cut is I think really interesting because it kind of falls into that same kind of George Lucas territory with, uh, you know, how he revisited Star Wars and made Jabba walk. And right. Yeah. yeah. Han shoot second, that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, so with the director's cut, like it just gets wildly different. Like there's more of a, a, a romantic story between uh, Laurie and Boone. Um, you, you have these musical numbers and, and things like that. And it, it basically, showcases that clive barker was doing what ryan murphy is doing now like 20 years <laughs> ago you know <laughs> like it, it has all those same kind of beats like it, it's almost like if american horror story like just had monsters right yeah i can see that yeah i i was impressed how well it held up like like watching mm -hmm. it i was like as like aside from the fact that all of this would have been digital effects now as opposed to actual practical effects like, I, I don't know. I was just, I was impressed at how timely it felt. So, oh, yeah. The makeup is great. And it really makes those kind of one off characters, those kind of side characters pop, mm -hmm. like Pelequin or uh, Kinski or um, Shonasasi or even uh, Narcisse. You know, like those, those characters are defined by the way they look. And it's so jaw dropping. And then they just bring this really unique spin to these characters. Mm -hmm. You know, I want his eyes. His <laughs> Unless you want them. <laughs> I, I loved them with like the, the, like the like jar of eels and everything. Yeah. And like, like I was like, I was like, I believe I described them at the time. I was like, this is my new favorite on-screen gay couple. I was like, 1000%. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 1, yes. 
I'm, I'm so glad that you touched on that because <laughs> I, I think that like when I first discovered it, you know, kind of in my teenage adolescence, like I, I could recognize that, that sexuality under the undertones and all that, but I didn't fully yeah. understand it until I was a bit more in my adulthood and, and, you know, did some research could recognize what it was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Clive Barker, he, he weaves his sexuality into all of his writing and his storytelling. And, you know, it's a really interesting showcase of his talents because you have this kind of heterosexual relationship between Boone and Laurie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Boone is this conflicted character because he wants to basically be with the dead in Midian, but, and mm-hmm. because he wants to kind of, but he's not sure about still having this life with Laurie. Um, and then, you know, he meets this character of Decker, who then fragments his world between sane and insane and whether or not, you know, he, he's the serial killer, that whole that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But there's also this level of sexuality of where Boone's able to float in between these in between these worlds, in between uh, these sexualities, almost, if you mm-hmm. consider the Midian as this kind of, I don't know, kind of pansexual world that they all kind of exist in yeah and it makes those characters really interesting because then you start to see some of the 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 tendrils that extend outward especially like with decker if you know he's you know he's death plain and simple um which recalls you know um echoes to you know the aids crisis and things like that also, you know, is he a conflicted character in his sexuality as well? Like, is he attracted to Boone? And that's why he pursues him the way that he does. And because he can't have him, if he can't have him, no one else can. Oh. Huh. So, and then, you know, then there's other parts like, you know, you know, you know, your meat, your meat for the beast. And it's right. like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like, does he want to eat him? And then you're like, oh no, this is overtly sexual. It's <laughs> full on in your face. Um, there were several then, like both shots and then also phrases in that where I was like, huh. I was like, I thought it got really into that, like coming from like a queer director viewpoint. I thought it was really, really mm-hmm. interesting being like, oh, am I seeing this also? Like because of that, or is that actually just from his viewpoint? I don't know. It was really there was a lot of points like that where I thought was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely points where it was subtext and points where it was just it was just text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I I consider it queer horror through and through. I even more so than than Hellraiser. I mean, Hellraiser definitely runs that gamut as well, and it has a bit more BDSM vibes to it. And definitely, but. Yeah with with nightbreed i mean you know he perverts the male gaze as well like you have shona Sasi, this this puerto rican or uh, porcupine woman and uh you know there's the whole sequence of her where she's undressing to seduce these you know backwoods deputies uh before killing them and it's just like an x-rated sonic the hedgehog all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> like it confuses so many boners and i love it <laughs> I hope that on the next cut of this film, that's what they use as the tagline, though. Like, confuses so many boners. <laughs> Clive Barker's Nightbreed. <laughs> yeah. Into it. I will tell you this that is how we're advertising this podcast. That's totally going to be. <laughs> On Instagram, there's just going to be the the Anomaly Presents logo and and you saying so many confused boners. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. In fact, totally into it. Can we just isolate that as pre-roll for the festival? Yes, I yeah, think absolutely. so. 
I um I just want to say yeah that like with that I also I felt like usually when we're seeing like an on-screen cemetery in a film like Creepshow uh, we watched mm-hmm. recently and I was like oh I was like there's so many like beautiful Hollywood cemeteries this one I feel like takes the cake because this oh, one yeah. goes so balls to the wall like mm-hmm. got those matte paintings you you like oh, the oh my god are fantastic so like, good the set design in this is amazing as well and just the room to play yeah. you know like it just feels like a full on world yeah. um especially like you know when you get into um the 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 lower chambers the tabernacle especially yeah. you know with uh Baphomet and mm-hmm. and all of that and the berserkers um, which I loved as soon as they appeared yeah. I was like I love these these are amazing <laughs> yeah Be- because Midian becomes kind of its own character and you know it, it's this place it's this home and no home is forever mm-hmm. you know and that's a message that really sticks to the core and to bring it back to that discussion of sexuality like that's exactly that like when you come out you know you're hoping that the people that you love the most will accept you and sometimes they don't, they, they, they shun you, they push mm-hmm. you away and expect you to, to, you know, wither away. And that's, that's what it is. And so when you have this playful kind of dialogue with like, you no know, Narcisse, where he's like, love a sailor, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that really sticks out and you're like, Oh, like this is this world of where they can be accepted because mm-hmm. that whole opening sequence with, um, you know, you have the, the the cave painting and all that. And then yeah. you have uh, Babette show Lori the history of the breed and what they survived with like that crusade era execution of all these people. Like that is some haunting, haunting shit. Um, and yeah. so when you give it that 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 context of being, uh, you know, uh, queer cinema, it really packs a punch. Yeah, I agree completely. I yeah, this is again. This is like one of those cases where like I feel like uh, it would probably be better if I had taken like a full day to process between actually watching <laughs> and now speaking on it. Because now I'm just like, oh crap, we're processing it all as we're talking about it. Because like, oh, it's, it's so great. much of like unpacking it's about it. it. Like, it will keep yeah. unfurling as the night goes on. <laughs> it's like, right. oh. The layers and, will reveal themselves. This is our and first nine-hour podcast. <laughs> so I'll, I'll pose this question to you. Sure. Do you consider this a monster movie? So this is actually <laughs> really fascinating because I actually was just a guest on um, the Great Pop Culture Debates podcast talking mm-hmm. about great movie monsters. And for like the first like 20 minutes, our discussion was about what is a monster and what do you consider to be a monster? And we had a hard time with it because we didn't all end up either agreeing on it or coming up with like a conclusive answer to it because it got a little heady because we started on in a good way, but like we, cause we started talking about like, is a monster, does it have to like, in effect, look like Godzilla? You know, is it mm-hmm. something that has a creature vibe to it or is a monster simply based on society ostracizing that person or creature or being and does therefore 
the definition of a monster change based on as time goes on in different societies like do we is what someone in like the 1950s considered a monster now considered a monster like that kind of a thing it was really interesting so um this is like one of those really like loaded questions now for me because i feel like i spent hours talking about it and now i'm like i don't even know anymore like because my feeling on it is that there are creatures and monsters in it but the question is are the monsters the police or are the monsters mm-hmm. the actual nightbreed? <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's why I would, I would say, yeah, it's a monster movie because I think it deals explicitly with the idea of what is a monster. And so therefore, yeah, it's, it's in of itself a monster movie because it wants to explore what a monster is. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the interesting things. And Zach, you're probably going to go, yeah, I know. But <laughs> <laughs> as I was doing research for the show, um, I was looking at what they were saying about the theatrical cut. And one of the things the guy from Morgan Creek said to Clive Barker was, Hey, if you're not careful, people are going to start sympathizing with these monsters. They're going to like them. It's like, well, you guys kind of totally missed the bus, huh? (laughs) And yeah, to that point, I I would say, you know, as far as a monster movie is concerned, I think it shares a lot of um, similarities with like your, your universal monsters and and the pathos Mm -hmm. and some of those, if you look at like the Frankenstein movies, Um, you know, before it gets to like Abbott and Costello and all that, but like, (laughs) you know, you're, you're, I I feel like there's analogs there between your, your Frankenstein and and Bride of Frankenstein and Nightbreed. You know what I mean? As far as, you know, belonging and, and, you know, how do you operate? How, how does love work? That kind of thing. Like the actual pathos of it is, I think, what what kind of carries mm-hmm. through. So if you look at a monster movie from that perspective, like, you know, how does the other fit in? Then, yeah, I, I think for sure I, I would see it as a, a monster movie. But Adam, yeah, 100%. That's an awesome point. Which one is the monster? Yeah. And I, I think that it it walks this amazing line of of almost androgyny in terms of you know are some of these creatures male or female are do we yeah. identify with them as 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 we would humans right. you know what is the role of of a man and a woman in this world you know all the men are you know super aggro and things like that outside of the priest who is this kind of drunk that's lost his faith uh the and now you have this doctor dr decker who's evil but it's also he's the representation of psychology and this kind of old world understanding of like when they considered homosexuality a mental illness Mm -hmm. um and then you have this this relationship of boone and who he is as a person you know with a lot of the creatures in in nightbreed in midian you know they were born this way Boone is kind of this anomaly in the fact that he's turned this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it kind of harkens to that argument of like, well, are you, are you born gay or more made gay? And we realize now that this is kind of what Clive Barker was addressing, you know, with mm. his own homosexuality as, as and and the way he wanted to tell stories. Um, and oddly enough, I, we mentioned this off air, but you know, it's his birthday today. So I think this, all this is very serendipitous. <laughs> so that's actually why he's not here. He was busy. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's interesting. We, Prior engagement. Yeah. I'd like to think that he's probably at a Chuck E. Cheese somewhere. It's just, <laughs> oh my God, I love that idea. Yes. It's like, he's got a handful of tokens and a cigar in the other. <laughs> uh. There's no one else there also because like everyone's like pandemic. We're not going, but he's like, I'm still going to check. Yeah. I feel like he, he rented it out for himself. He knew <laughs> he, right. That was what he wanted. So, yeah. 
It's been he's his just life got a handful dream. of tickets. He's like, I don't want any fucking Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just pockets full of Jolly Ranchers playing in the ball pit. He's <laughs> <laughs> just musing, how would I redesign this, this ball pit? Spikes, spikes on the balls. That's what I would do. <laughs> I want that movie now. That's, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> That, that could be your pitch for the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. <laughs> well, speaking of Nightbreed and Clive Barker, I'm I I would cut off a finger to work on the TV series that's in the works. Like, I there's so many fun things that I could see this show addressing, and yeah. uh, I will pitch a million and a half ideas if they would listen to one of them. <laughs> they would be insane not to, if I'm honest. Like, I feel like you have such a, a passion for for Nightbreed and kind of have an understanding beyond like I, you really should be involved in that show somewhere. So well, let's see. Now my pitch for this would be, cause you know, I'm super excited that they announced that Michael Doherty is attached, you know, yeah. I love trick or treat and all yeah. the stuff that he's done. And I think that the way that you could really have fun with this series and storytelling is start off with a legacy that Boone and Lori went away. They had a kid Boone now has to come back to Midian and, you know, kind of rebuild this, this sanctuary and all that. And now also discovers that there's other night breed from around the world, other tribes of the moon. Um, and then this can open up a world of, of prequels and how they came to be and as, as well as having this parallel storyline. Um, and plus, you know, I mean, what's Craig Schaefer doing these days? I mean, <laughs> since One Tree Hill got canceled, not much. Yeah. So, sorry, I shouldn't shade him like that. We we love you, Craig Schaefer. <laughs> right now, he's going. I was into this podcast until this moment. I've stuck yeah. with this for multiple episodes. <laughs> now I've had enough. But no, I will not rate, review, or subscribe. <laughs> God damn it, our first one-star review, and it's from Craig Schaefer. <laughs> Was really excited for Nightbreed, and then, then this Dude, happened. That's what you put. All right, front of the shirt confuses all the boners, arrow pointing down, back of the shirt, one-star review. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. So I, I kind of want to go back a little bit to um, a comment you had made earlier, Zach, about... Uh, the director's cut kind of being a George Lucas esque situation. Um, Cause again, everything I was reading, kind of getting an idea of what the backstory was here. It was kind of envisioned as that horror version of star Wars, right? It was supposed to be more than just this one movie. You said it yourself. It, it was supposed to kind of be, you know, the, the Freddy for, for Morgan Creek and, you know, Morgan yeah. Creek was just, you know, yeah, Too it's it's it. one of those things that I think if Clive Barker was able to do his full on director cut at the time, I almost feel like the director's cut would be something different than what it is now. But with yeah. all this this time that's passed in between of, you know, all of his work, you know, Book of Blood, Lord of Illusions, whatever, um, that it kind of gave enough distance that one, he was kind of removed from it. And then two. We have all these elements that kind of were completely forgot about. It's almost like, you know, you put on an old coat and five, find five bucks in the pocket. You're like, Oh, cool. You know, <laughs> this is awesome. Right. 
And it's funny because you mentioned like Star Wars, but also again in the the reading I did right before this was on how the Star Wars concept artist Ralph McQuarrie did the murals in this mm-hmm. apparently, which I was like, well, that's super neat. Like, that's I feel cool. like that's a cool idea of like, even though again working in incredibly different films and incredibly different like mythologies, but like being like, oh, some of the visual touches or visual styles of these other things I like, and being able to actually like incorporate them to do new art based on that and use the artists you like to actually like i don't know i thought that was kind of a really cool idea so yeah i mean this movie uses a lot of really unique storytelling devices you know you kind of have this flashback and then this narration and then you're just you know from the jump you're just jolted into this world you know like the beginning of this movie is probably one of the most unsettling and nerve scraping (laughs) sequences to a slasher film I've ever seen. You see this suburban family just completely butchered. And then, and then him Decker walking up the stairs on that like five-year-old boy. And then it just cuts like that's still spine chilling. Yeah. I, I feel like also with this, um, because again, it's, it's hard to like separate out what you've, you know, recently been watching or recently front of your mind sort of a thing um mm-hmm. adam and i have just been re-watching the hannibal tv series um because i needed something very light and fun in the current <laughs> climate so why not hannibal? <laughs> okay <laughs> but it was cathartic more than anything <laughs> very cathartic absolutely but with that i was struck again by like similarities in terms of just you know moments of the fact that um, Hannibal, the TV show, you know, with Brian Fuller as the showrunner, has this intense sense of not just sympathizing with quote unquote the monster, but also it's got kind of like the beauty of the darkness throughout the entire mm-hmm. thing. Um, so much stuff about how beautiful or cool that kind of imagery is. And I felt it was really interesting. Nightbreed kind of has some early groundwork about that is that it has the horror. So it absolutely mm-hmm. has like the fam- the suburban family and everything. Um, and it's tense and you, you know, they're like, oh, like, oh shit, the little kid. <laughs> like, but then also there's just, there's so much artistry going on involved in it, especially once you get to Midian. Like, I feel like it's, it's, um, you can say that it's, you know, got a worn down artistry to it, but like, it's very much between the old world, let's call it symbolism and the architecture Mm -hmm. and everything. I don't know. It was just, it was interesting seeing that I feel like it kind of had a groundwork for some of the more visual horrific things that we've had later. So because it had both. Those settings, they kind of invoke these almost archetypal understandings of these characters. Like Midian almost kind of feels like a freak show on meth (laughs) and you know, and and Boone, when he wanders through these worlds, you know, he's in jeans, a white T-shirt and black leather jacket like he's James Dean cool. Right. Um, yeah. And wherever he goes, he's kind of out of place. The cemetery is out of place. Even in Decker's office, he's out of place. Like, you know, yeah. David Cronenberg absolutely rips in this movie. But <laughs> yes, he's so good. <laughs> he's so good. And, um, you know, it's he plays kind of like this slick ass almost Beverly Hills LA kind of douchebag psychiatrist and you can see it you know when Craig Schaefer's in his office and he's playing with a statue and all that and he he doesn't belong in this world 
And then later on, when Decker's listening to the tapes from his session, you see the the bubble wall. Behind oh my it. god! The bubble and then wall. It, <laughs> and then it pulls out. You just see all these like knives and machetes, uh-huh. and as he's like freaking out, and you're just like, "What the hell? What is what is this Dexter style murder <laughs> room that we're in?" Yes. Yeah, it's seemingly direct d- decorated by Spencer's gifts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I feel like, again, like when you're saying like about like being excited about to see like what they could potentially do with a series, this also feels to me like something that has so many ideas, which you know you mentioned again, three cuts and all these additional footage and pieces. But like this world is very, very rich with imagery and themes mm-hmm. and ideas. And I feel like it's definitely a case of whether or not it kind of overwhelmed Clive Barker during the actual making of it, or it just overwhelmed the studio because they didn't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Sort of a situation. I feel like this is another great example of why, like, thankfully we're in like a great, you know, golden TV era at the moment, because taking something like, for example, Watchmen, and regardless of how you feel about the actual graphic novel or feel about the movie, but being able to take that universe and then play in it and make a really mm-hmm. great television show out of it, I feel like is something that, yeah, this is just as ripe for and is really, really awesome that they're, you know, that they're pursuing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for and, all the things that get, you know, a series or a movie that, you know, let's take this character and give them a backstory and explore it that, that don't really need it. Like this is, so there's so much to that. I was like, I want to know more about these characters and this world and how it all works. So yeah, it's, yeah, like you said, it's it's ripe for that kind of treatment. I think it'd be really interesting to see how this would play out in a digital age as well. I mean, we all have these mm-hmm. supercomputers in our pockets that right. uh, we choose to look at cat memes with instead of <laughs> do anything productive with. Um, but like, you know, we like to think that the we know everything about the world, that we, you know, there are no more countries to conquer. There's no no place else to go. But, you know, to introduce that, no, monsters are real. They exist. They're not just under your bed and in your closet, but they're they've been around for centuries kind of thing. I, I think that'd be really interesting. I think that if you could kind of give it maybe that Sabrina teenage witch spin that Netflix did mm-hmm. um, or, you know, something along that line. I mean, there's plenty of flavor to pick from yeah. um, and especially at Doherty and, and Barker, you know, I, I, I think they could have a really fun time together, especially with the drama aspects, you know, um, you know, the, the tinges of like Ryan Murphy, like I would love to see like, you know, a pose version of night three, you know, like I, yeah. I, full heartedly and like, absolutely. 100%, I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, as you, you, I think it's ripe for a lot of representation that hasn't been seen yeah. on screen as well um, to play with, you know, terms of sexuality of uh, gender identification of, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think the world's finally ready for that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Morgan Creek was, I get it. You know, it was a time, you know, you had the AIDS crisis, you know, nobody was coming out, you know, publicly. Um, it was, you know, it was a different time and it was yeah. a really progressive film more so than a lot of its counterparts. Um, I, I, to a degree, you could argue that this is kind of exploitation cinema. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're, you're killing a kid, you know, this is something that like, uh, harkens to like uh, John Carpenter and Assault on Precinct 13, you know, with the ice cream truck scene. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and, you know, this reversal of identifying with these characters of like, oh, these are monsters. Like, oh, no, you know, this is a completely different thing. It takes Frankenstein and tells you like, oh, this is Frankenstein's monster. Is it a monster? You know, then you realize that like Frankenstein is the real monster kind of thing. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And with that, I just want to, there's a quick side note is I feel like I don't have a great history on uh, I have not spent a lot of time researching the history of like red hats and like bigotry and guns, but I was impressed in this, how many red hats are in when everyone's jumping in their trucks with their guns. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. I was <laughs> what like, did they know? And what how long did they, they know? know? I was we, like, we are the sons of the free, you know, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. And when they're locking and loading, I'm yes. like, what the, like, all right, this is the, how much has not changed. That, you yes, know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And that's I I kept yeah being very very impressed uh, and horrified at how yeah still very like I said like very apt or applicable. So much stuff was in this. I was like, you don't have to change anything. You literally just put the year at the front of this, and everyone be like, oh yeah, I buy it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have to say because we've kind of touched about on a couple of different ideas that I expected the movie to do more to subvert because we talked about the idea like the night breed is you know the like diversity of species of race of sexualities um and then the the boon character is kind of this you know nondescriptly attractive white guy who comes in and they're like this is our savior and Mm -hmm. I, i kept waiting for it to kind of do more to subvert that idea and i feel like maybe Maybe, you know, the, the TV series has an opportunity that, you know, a modern spin on it would be more conscious of things like that. Because, yeah, I kept, I kept waiting for that because I like you have these ideas and then it's like, oh, you're just going to leave that there. And I was like, yeah. I kept waiting for that moment. A mullet will unite them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's really 1990 in a nutshell, if I, if yeah. I recall it correctly. Yeah. But I, I think it's really interesting. I think a series would probably do this story more justice because you have such conflicting characters in terms of their roles. You know, you have Baphomet, who's, you know, he's, he's the one that built Midian, right? But then you have uh, Lylesburg, who kind of runs everything, and he's kind of like the mayor in Jaws, you know? Like, <laughs> no, we're not going to close the beach, you know? It's like, no, let loose the fucking berserkers. Let's kick some ass, you know? Um <laughs> And, you know, it's you have these dueling responsibilities to the people around them because it's, you know, you have the citizens outside of Midian and then you have the citizens in Midian and it kind of comes to this bubbling, uh, almost boiling over point of, you know, whose lives are more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if they're not like us, then, you know, we have to fear them and we have to kill them. Right. That's the American mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> It, oddly a lot of, I mean again each each their own touch points but so much of like the entire second half of this though reminded me of Atlantis the Lost Empire which is one of okay. my favorite Disney animated films <laughs> like but like so much like I was like and in that case I was like oh no Atlant everyone who worked on story on Atlantis watched Nightbreed like that's literally <laughs> yeah. what I came away from in this I was like was, was like the first half was the first half treasure planet or i mean maybe those are some deep cut like the disney movies like what disney movies are these did they take a left at ferngully that was avatar um 
I love the alternate universe that Disney was staking all of their their future in making animated versions of Nightbreed. I love this. (laughs) I absolutely love Uh, this. Could you imagine if Lori was a Disney princess? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that'd be great. I'm so in around not knowing what to do. We would have gotten like three. You want a drink? I want a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Wait, we need to talk for one second here about Cheryl Ann. Is that her name? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Secretly Matt's favorite character. (laughs) Secretly my favorite character in this. She came on screen in the bathroom and I was like, who is this? I love her. Literally, he was fully invested. I hope the rest of the movie just follows her. <laughs> I was so upset beyond anything else when she died. Like, right? because I literally yelled at the television. Adam was sitting next to me and I was like, no, she deserved was, better. Uh, she did deserve. She deserved did did they, did they get you when they're like, Curtis, what are you doing here? Did they get it? Yes. It got me. I, I yeah. literally, I, I went, oh, no. Like I was very upset because I loved her. I cherished her. I kind of want to make like, you know, an altar to her. Listen, we don't know what happened after that. Maybe she, maybe she is now Nightbreed as well. Yeah. I I do think one of the, the oh my gosh, everything's fine now. Sorry. Yes. (laughs) I I geek out, brother. Geek out. (laughs) No, I loved her. I wanted everything. All this effort when there's no one here to appreciate the finished product. I never know. No, she was my favorite. I loved her. I wanted the entire rest of the movie to follow her. And I was I was like, listen, nothing against Boone and Lori, but Cheryl Ann can just actually be the savior of the civilization. <laughs> <laughs> and we just mix her spunky attitude in with all this. Yeah. I am here for this. I love yeah. her. So yeah. oh, she's great. And I, I think another underappreciated uh, character is the uh, black detective. Yes, trying to actually solve the case because he, yes. out of all of the uh, authority figures, out of all the police, he's the only uncorruptible one yep. in terms of actually seeking out the truth of like what happened, why is Boone dead, mm-hmm. uh, why why is he disappeared, where did he go, why are we at this cemetery, what the hell's in this suitcase, <laughs> what. <laughs> what's going on you know i i was very impressed at his line of where's the gun like Mm -hmm. and i was like oh i was like oh because i was just expecting it to be like oh we got him like but like no he was the one who was like what are you asking the right questions yeah 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 he's the only one that has kind of a level of accountability um you know outside of probably the doctor in the beginning you know (laughs) you're on what we call a bad trip (laughs) (laughs) and and that that's a thing like that little throwaway line it's like well yeah this is all one bad trip you know Mm -hmm. but yeah absolutely love this movie start to finish i mean any cut every cut um (laughs) every every time i watch it i i find something new to enjoy um you know, just whether it be like the stunt sequences of that that fight scene on the drawbridge, yes, or uh, you know, the picture cars, you know, when they're zooming through the woods, like fuck, those cars are awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, and then just every piece of memorabilia I want to track down, you know. I was just gonna say, I, which is a, a perfect transition because before we started recording, you were showing us some of your collection, but I wanted to ask, do you have a favorite or? And or which was the hardest one to track down? 
Um, let's see. Probably I have I have a, the the trailer on thirty five millimeter. That was a little difficult to track down. That's so cool. Um, That's so awesome. And then I was really surprised when I found the v, uh, the VHS from Greece. Um, that was like I didn't ever knew that the movie made it to Greece. Um, I feel like we should yeah, clarify was... for local Rochesterians: this is Greece, the country, not Greece, the town. <laughs> there. You go. Um, but probably my favorite would be um, the Blu-ray release when they first offered the director's cut, as you know, along with the theatrical cut, because it was. I remember watching that for the first time and being blown away to finally see what had been lost and only ever rumored about. You know, this was something that blew away. You know, hey, did you see the ghost in Three Men and a Baby? This blew away. You know, did you see the hanging munchkin in Wizard of Oz? You know, this blew away. Did you see the guy with his dick out and Teen Wolf at the end? Um, the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, I think it would have been amazing to just see, like, I'm picturing you, like, on a sofa, and, like, the moment it starts, you're just like, boop. And suddenly you're like a teenager again. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, read it to your aunt on ego. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. I mean, it took me back and zeroed in to the most lizard part of my brain, <laughs> and I would, I was just completely enamored all over again. And I, I, I think when I watched it and it finished, I immediately hit play again. Uh, and awesome. I mean, just like it's the thing is, is that director's cut it shouldn't exist. It should not exist, but it does. And the fact that they were able to marry it into the cabal cut as well is, um, it's really interesting. Like, I kind of feel like it's the best of both worlds in terms of just smashing it together. But um, it's weird. Like, it's like, I like pizza. I like sushi. I don't know if I, I like pizza sushi. Sushi pizza? I don't know. <laughs> but I'll eat it. Don't get me wrong. I'll yeah. eat it. Is there a, a holy grail thing that you've been looking for? Is there something left on on the list? Oh man, um, I would love to get a shooting script. I think that would be Ooh. fantastic. Um, you know, I would love you know an original Clive Bar Bar uh, Clive Barker art art piece from this because his drawings, his illustrations are absolutely amazing. I don't know, probably just a literal piece of Clive Barker's mind. You know, <laughs> I'll take that. Just the frontal lobe chunk. I don't know. Is that weird? Am I going to end up on like a federal watch list now? It's Not just in a glass through. case. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to turn on the TV and just see Ohio man arrested for trepanning Clive Parker. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Listen, the things we have said on this podcast in the past, if we're not already on all kinds of lists, like you're going to be fine. <laughs> Nothing's happened to us so far. I've met you guys in person. I know, I know people that have made hair dolls before when I see them. <laughs> but I won't flip this camera around and show our table full. I of was that. just going to say, I was like, mm -mm, no, this is audio only. <laughs> I was just going to ask, do you have like the stuff that you have, do is that stuff that you track down on your own or are you like, people know you're the Nightbreed guy. So you like, you get gifted with things all the time. Uh, I tend to track it down a bit more. Okay. I kind of scour eBay and just other websites and things like that. Um, and, but like, and usually anytime there's any news, 
like I immediately get hit up on like Twitter and things like that, which is fantastic. Cause I mean, when that Michael Doherty news dropped, I, you know, my inbox was just like, bing, bing, bing. Like, yes. <laughs> Fucking A on brand. <laughs> I, I was going to say earlier, I'm, that's the weirdest thing about this movie is that I hadn't thought of it since blockbuster really, which, which is a shame. Um, but you brought up watching it and then everywhere I looked, it's like you summoned it into the universe. And now all of a sudden, everywhere I look, there's some sort of Nightbreed news or something happening with Nightbreed or even before the show. That's when I saw the, the Michael Doherty thing. I was like, what? Ha-? It, it, it's like Zach's everything. It, it You've got if, if I willed any of this into existence, <laughs> then by all means, I'm, I'm cool. I'm done. I'm <laughs> You Eckhart tolle the shit out of this is what I'm trying yeah. to say. What if I just beamed up into a UFO right now? Just like, <laughs> my work here is done. <laughs> what the hell was that? He could have cured COVID, but now we got a, another four cuts of Nightbreed. <laughs> I'd just be pissed off because I don't have video of you transubstantiating. That would be the thing. <laughs> I mean, hey, listen, just, just put on the Nikes, drink the Kool-Aid, get in the bed. Come on. We, gotta... <laughs> we all have certain powers. You just got to use them how you can. So the heart wants what it wants. We're like, we can't hold that against you. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I, I am so happy that, that you suggested this movie because it, like I say, it, it unlocked so much stuff for me as I was watching. I was like, oh, yeah. shit. That's that's amazing. This this is all tying in. And then I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, Hellboy 2. I, I see exactly what he Midian was just like Guillermo del Toro pretty much just went, oh, Midian was cool. Let's see if I can do something similar. And that was mm-hmm. that whole bazaar in in Hellboy 2. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Like, I wonder yeah, where that it's got a lot coming. of those those influences later on. And I think we're finally at a point in, you know, kind of contemporary America and mainstream media where we're able to appreciate the uh, ideals that were put into this that might have mm-hmm. been suppressed in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you have these voices that are speaking up in, in terms of uh, minorities getting more of a place in entertainment and, um, you know, members of the LGBT community being represented on film and in television. Mm-hmm. And those things deserve to be celebrated. And it's it's films like this that helped push that to the forefront. Um, And, you know, I'm really excited for, you know, fans of a new generation to discover movies like this. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race and, uh, and all of that, like go back and watch Paris is Burning. You can kind of see where it all came from kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of like the same, same thing. Like if you're a fan of, of Ryan Murphy, of, of, you know, a lot of the the cont- more contemporary filmmakers that are that are making films that are edgy and pushing that content like that's what Clive Barker was doing. And I think that he's finally becoming a bit more appreciated. Everybody kind of associates him with Hellraiser and kind of cuts him off there outside of his literary work. Mm-hmm. But um, his cinematic achievements deserve to be celebrated equally. Yeah, this was this was awesome. And again, as someone who knew nothing about this going in definitely made me be like okay i need to go back and actually look and see what else he's made because now i i am a fan i'm so glad you suggested this because this this was great so yeah. i please please do me a favor 
and watch the theatrical cut and then hit me up immediately after. <laughs> okay, definitely. Because <laughs> like the energy that you brought to this, like it's contagious. Like it's the thing that I love about sharing movies with people. Because yeah. I think one of the things that helped me grow as a cinephile is you kind of have that gatekeeping mentality in your youth of like, oh, you call yourself a horror fan. You haven't seen this movie that only 12 other people even know about in the world. <laughs> you know? And, it's such it, and like I get why people do it. It's a boost to their ego because right. they're probably picked on for whatever aspect of of liking what they like. Right. But when you switch that and flip it on its head, and it's like, wow, I'm fucking so jealous. You get to enjoy this movie for the first time. Like mm-hmm. I've seen this movie easily in the triple digits, <laughs> but when I get to talk to someone that sees it for the first time and has that level of excitement and energy to it, it's like, Oh yeah, sure. Let's geek out about it. You want to do a podcast about it? Absolutely. You want to come to your house and we'll get matching, matching boom tattoos. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. We have our plans for the next time. Anomalies in person and you're our guest again. <laughs> Done. Headed to Done. that tattoo shop. Just full on nightbreed tattoos. Yeah. And, and the one star review. There you go. Yes. <laughs> That's actually what the tattoo is. <laughs> Requires so much explaining every time anyone is like, what is this tattoo? And we're like, okay, here's this podcast episode. Just listen yeah. to this. It'll explain the whole thing. Well, first, before Craig Schaefer that- did it. He was not a fan. <laughs> I didn't even... I didn't even know he knew how to tattoo, but apparently <laughs> he was like, T-shirts, I need something more permanent. <laughs> I love it. Oh. So this is getting weirder because One Tree Hill, it was Craig Schaefer. It was also Chad Michael Murray. Oh, no. Who starred in oh, House no. of Wax, which is what we did two episodes ago. The other unsung movie I was talking about in the intro. <laughs> One Tree Hill is actually the sun, and we all revolve around <laughs> One Tree Hill. <laughs> huh. Oh, well, now man. I'm going to have to find more like red string points from One Tree Hill to everything else we've been doing with this film festival. <laughs> I love it. Like you're going to just be able to like connect it to like Gilmore Girls and Party of Five and just like. <laughs> I'm here to tell you 2021 Anomaly is just going to pivot from being a, a genre film festival to a One Tree Hill fan fest. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> Say, We're going to get all the principles in. We're going to have we'll actually have you come back and do a panel with Craig Schaefer under the guise of it being about One Tree Hill. And you can just pepper him with with Nightbreed questions. <laughs> OK, wait, I legit kind of love this, though. I legit kind of love the idea that we've suckered everyone in. But then all we do is ask the creators and cast about their genre film <laughs> relations. And we don't actually talk about One Tree Hill. I kind of love this now. <laughs> that'd be great like i want i want more like reporters and media press coverage to do that just like could you imagine like when they were doing what's upon a time in hollywood press like so brad pitt uh in cutting class uh, <laughs> uh yeah i love it <laughs> I, I did recently rewatch uh freddie's nightmares and found the episode where uh brad pitt is in with um bill mosley Really? Yeah, it, it's super weird. Uh, if you can track that down, it's super fun. Uh, I'm going to have to now. And, com- and completely off topic. I love that as well. <laughs> that, 
That's okay. That's part of what this show is about. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is kind of our thing. Yeah. This actually, say, and tangents. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast. This is actually the longest we've stayed on topic of a movie, I think, ever. I feel like it's partly because, like, technically we could go off topic, but, like, one, Zach's reverence for Nightbreed, and two, I was like, I just kind of want to hear Zach talk about Nightbreed. So. <laughs> I mean, that's, yes, that's exactly it. Like, but, I'm just uh, pushing back because I'm so Did you guys have a favorite right monster, a favorite creature? <gasps> I was going to ask you that. Ah, perfect. All right, okay. let's go around. Well, do you want to, mm. Zach, do you want to start or end? All right, I you can start. Silence so Matt can remove I, it. I think I say, yeah. Well, yeah, I used to love Peliquin and, you know, his whole monologue of, you know, everything is true. God is an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow and Midian's where the monsters live. Um, but then, you know, like, you know, you started getting more and more into Boone and, you know, his journey and all that. But uh, I did find another piece of memorabilia. Uh, I did have to get that made. That's uh, Narcissus T-shirt that he oh, wears. Awesome. Oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> the King Rocker shirt. Holy That's crap. So yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's really fun because it's, you know, his whole monologue in the hospital of like, I'm an actor. There's a face under this face. And mm-hmm. that mirrors Decker who loved him for a while. Like it almost feels like where you go through phases of, of uh, your adulthood. And at least for me mm-hmm. of, you know, there's a face under this face and, you know, his whole thing is, you know, um, you know, he's death plain and simple. You know, he's killed a lot of breeders. He keeps doing it over and over. He's trying to find a purpose. And so is, so is Boone. Um, and then, I mean, that kind of ties back into the sexuality of like him killing breeders. You know, it's him battling his latent homosexuality possibly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being, you know, self-loathing as well. And that's this murderous rage. Um, you know, part of the story as well is there's a whole sequence where, uh, his mask starts talking to him and is part of why he's forced to kill. Um, that kind of got a little wishy-washy and, and pushed aside as well. Um, but yeah, there's so many fun things to examine in this story of, you know, the historical context of, of, of things like, you know, whether you perceive it as a story about queer culture and things like that, or if you put it in the context of, black versus white and segregation and things like that. Like it, these monsters are a mirror to kind of almost any minority. I think that, and that's, I think a case of this um, one, I think sometimes Hollywood has a difficult time examining that. And so sometimes I think that they do a better job at it when it actually is a genre element because they're mm-hmm. able to actually like tell not I'm having a hard time describing this. Sure. No, that makes sense. When, when it's not obvious, when you don't have to say this is ex- exactly what happens when you can draw a, an analog to it, it's easier to talk about it because you're not saying directly, this is what's being oppressed. This is who's being oppressed. This is why it's happening. Instead, you can kind of put a, I mean, it happens in children's books all the time. You know, the one book you got, Milo, the red rectangles versus the the green lizards. Right. You know, that's (laughs) kind of the point of that book. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't doesn't have to be obvious about it. It's kind of, you know. And and that's the beauty of genre film and especially mm -hmm. exploitation cinema is, is that it moves that needle. It forces us 
to move that needle forward. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people will shit on, on, on exploitation cinema, but it's far more progressive than a lot of the films being made today. Oh yeah. You know, of just being like, Hey, here's the thing, like it or don't, but you're going to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that that's a lot of what filmmakers need to take notice of these days, because there's so much content and there's so much white noise that your message, your story has to be able to cut through all that and say something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this movie does suffer a little bit of so much plus the kitchen sink in terms of, of telling a story that it's like, Oh, there's so much to process that it spins you around in a circle. And then you're, you're, you're just at the end. Um, but it's got so many fun, like little elements. And the more you dig into it, like, uh, like the end with, uh, with Decker and his resurrection, I love that little nod to uh video drum, you know, when he's, where he sticks his hand in and all that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just an amazing story. And I, I, I kind of wish more people knew about it and hopefully, you know, because of the director's cut, they will, because that it's on shutter now they will. Um, and, you know, with the news of the series, I, I really think that that'll help push it a bit more and we'll continue to have something to celebrate. Yeah. Well, I can honestly say you've got three converts right here that will absolutely will be spreading the gospel as well. Um, the the tribes sure. of the moon embrace you. <laughs> all parts of the tribes of the moon at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think my favorite monster, and I don't remember her name, unfortunately, was are the mother with uh oh uh, the little kid. uh uh rachel rachel oh yeah yes i think ultimately rachel was my favorite i thought she was badass creepy and also really cool but a close second would be the guy who was able to have the two tendrils come yeah. out of his stomach <laughs> yeah yeah there's think, so many i think fun... he was my favorite i loved those things yeah there's so many fun creatures and then with the director's cut they incorporated a lot more of the uh stop motion that yeah. was kind of cut out from the original. Um, yeah, it's, it's just so wildly inventive. And and the great thing is, is if it, like you go into, they released a couple books about the making of uh, Nightbreed and all that. And all of those characters that you see on screen have elaborate backstories. Amazing. Um, you know, like the the guy with the split face, uh, you know, uh, the guy with the the uh, hoof feet and things like that, like pretty much any creature that you see in Midian has a complete backstory. Oh, that's awesome. See, this that is why I'm cool. looking forward to the TV show, because I would love just to have episodes that focus on each of them. Like, let me follow Kinski for a day mm-hmm. and, and see right? what he's about. Or, you know, how, well, how he got, got he there. got a job as, uh, you know, uh, working as the McDonald's mascot when they had the, you know, <laughs> he's back to Max and knife. Double. Ma- Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I love that. That's also a crossover universe, actually. It's McDonald's was like, okay, so I need like your cousin to come for this commercial we're doing. Like what do you think the the nuggets were that would bounce around? Creatures of Midian. <gasps> That's right. I will tell you Grimace, it just makes sense. Creature of Midian. <laughs> The Nightbreed Happy Meal toys were fucking weird. I, <laughs> I feel like this brings us back to a ball pit. Like literally, yeah. like in the end, it all just circles back. Just little kids with Love the, the button eye masks walking around. That's it. Yeah. 
Oh my God. If there, if there's any parent out there that is dressing their kid as any nightbreed character for Halloween, please flood my inbox with all the pictures possible. <laughs> like, could you imagine a Muppet baby version of Midian? <laughs> oh, that would be so great. Oh like, my God. Yes. Baphomet is Nana with just the legs. <laughs> God, I wish I, I, I was any kind of an animator because we would do this. That sounds <laughs> oh. so amazing. Yes. That'd be fucking great. I love it. <laughs> well, there's your pitch for the that's that's your pitch for the TV show, right? Is the <laughs> <laughs> you know, Muppet you, Baby Midian. You know, yeah. the, the, the fourth or fifth season when things get real weird, they just have the animated episode. Mm-hmm. See, there you go. See, I think it could be really cool. Like, I think that, uh, you know, you had fans of like True Blood and Carnival and like those themes are there. We just oh, get yeah. a little weirder. Oh, yeah, know? definitely. And especially because we know that Michael Doherty like, loves creatures mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so much that I feel like, yeah, that's that's something where I feel like not just creatures, but like the the underlying humanity of them and how they relate to stuff. I just I don't yeah. know that it's a, such a, a perfect pairing. I, that, that makes me very excited. Uh, could you imagine Lori getting degloved? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, does the TV show mean we're going to learn what Lori's Nightbreed superpower is? Uh, I think Just... it's it's her WAP. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I mean that—that's pretty much what brought Boone back from the dead, right? <laughs> this is that's true. Fair. That's fair. I, I was going to go very X Men and just say she was going to get Banshee powers, but yeah, let's stick with the WAP. <laughs> Sick! This is amazing. I now need to feel like every movie. I need to come back and be like, okay, Zach, I need—I need you to tell me all about this movie now. <laughs> like, this is fantastic. Well, now, now I just want the WAP remix that, you know, how we've heard all the other ones with like the Phantom of the Opera and then them rapping mm-hmm. over it. And I kind yep. of think like imagine Danny Elfman's score, but with that, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, if that, hmm, this, this could happen. Like, <laughs> there you go. Lylesburg doing the uh, Megan the Stallion part. Oh, it'd be great. Did you, maybe that's why Decker like slashes them up in the kitchen. Just be like, I don't cook. I don't clean. <laughs> oh, there it is. Decker featuring Lylesburg. And then and then he walks up the stairs, but let me show you how I got this ring. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that that just took a real darker turn. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when we finish this film festival, we have a new remix project we have I to work say, on. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Because on the list. Yeah. <laughs> we'll pull Miguel in and see what we can do. There you go. <laughs> love it. Love it. So, um, Oh, God. I don't even know where to go from here, fellas. I, I, re- I was going <laughs> to really say, don't. I was going to ask, you know, I, I feel like um, it's a loaded question, but what... What final thoughts would you have about Nightbreed? <laughs> hmm. um, uh, let's see. Um, white cis men, calm down. <laughs> 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 uh, 
I don't, I don't know. Like that's probably about it. Like stand down, stand by. I don't know. <laughs> Is that weird? I, that's yeah. what it kind of feels like, right? Like it yeah. feels like this movie, you should listen to everybody else that is not a, a white man like i mean even Lori has more sense than boone half the time um at least she knows when to run um, <laughs> <laughs> so um no i i think it's you know it's this amazing movie that if you're you know if you're questioning your surroundings if you ever feel like you don't fit in um, you know, for the longest time and to a large degree, I still feel that, you know, your your family is blood, but your real family is the, the people that you find, the tribe that you make yourselves. Yeah. And, you know, that journey might take you to to the end of your life and beyond uh, to achieve. But, you know, that's that's the ultimate goal. And, you know, it's about coming together and working together and protecting what's you and yours and and doing so by any means necessary. And I think that that's a lesson that people can, you know, gravitate towards and in tune themselves with. Zach, that was amazing. <laughs> well said. Yes. Thank you, Zach. And thanks for coming on. Zach Schildwachter, thank you again for spending the, the last hour schooling us on, on Nightbreed. Um, I, it, this is maybe one of my favorite shows we've done. I am so excited to go back and watch the theatrical cut again. Yeah. See what I missed. Oh, for sure. Track down the cabal oh, yeah. cut. Yeah, I, do, I like, think the, the theatrical universe. cut, you're going to like Decker far more. Um, you know, this, this, I, I, I think the stuff with Lori will pop a little bit more. Um, especially Boone, too. I, I, it's There's three different movies, in my opinion. It's kind of like, it's ice cream, you know? Who doesn't love ice cream? But now, what's your favorite flavor? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's perfect. I love that. <laughs> I kind of love that this was a movie that was supposed to be a series and kind of ended up that way anyway. I don't, I can't think of any other movie mm-hmm. that really did that. And uh, yeah, it's something special. Absolutely. And perfect for Halloween. I mean, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, amazingly well-timed. This was great. <laughs> All right. Here comes the, the filthy plugs. Speaking of perfect for Halloween on October 17th, Fright Rags, Anomaly, and Saturday Night Rewind are hosting a drive-in double feature. It's Slacks, which... Oh my god, Slacks. Zach, have you seen anything about Slacks? Uh, I have not, but I, I did see the announcement with Fright Rags, and all those guys are super rad from from Ben on down. So, it, they are. Yeah, we're, we're, we're thrilled to be working with them. It's awesome. Super excited that, that you know, they... They wanted to come and play with us. I can't say say anything but nice stuff about them. Uh, when we get off, check out the the trailer of Slacks on YouTube. The the way I've been describing it to folks, and the way I'm going to describe it to to our, our listening friends is, is that the one about the killer pair of jeans? It, it is. sure is. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. Yes. All right. It, it took me a minute, but yes, you know, it's kind of like this is the most anticipated uh, movie since Rubber for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you know, oh my what? god. It, yeah. <laughs> It's the story of of a, a, a pair of smart jeans, I guess, um, with a predilection for Bollywood and murder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and after that, we're going to show Halloween. Two weeks before Halloween at a really rural drive-in. Ooh. So 
to, to give you an idea, it's about an hour and 10 minutes from Rochester, an hour and a half from Buffalo. So you've got about an hour and 10 minutes of driving through really dark woods <laughs> after watching <laughs> Halloween. Which is pretty great, but also very easy because only like three turns. Like it's said. a very straight shot. So, but it's perfect because it's also about the length of one of these podcasts. So, <laughs> right. Look at that. So <laughs> now I'm just, but now I'm just imagining Michael Myers in jeans. Uh, yep, yep. Like, which is you know. what I wanted for the poster to promote <laughs> this event, and we haven't made it happen yet. But there's still time. Like, do you think like he's a boot cut kind of guy or? <laughs> Like I, I would love to see like Michael Myers in like Jinkos, oh, just the real big stovepipes, the ones that he could fit yeah. like, the entire cast underneath. Yeah. Could you imagine like, like cue the piano, and it's just his legs like flapping like two parasails as he's stalking down the block. I like the idea that the jeans evolve as the movies go on. So like in the first one, he's wearing like the Vanderbilt jeans, like the really tight you know brooke shield jeans and then oh, as yeah. time goes on so in h2o he's 100 percent wearing jinkos oh <laughs> that'd be awesome like could you imagine if he had like a pair of soaps as well and like oh, he slides so down a stairwell banister after like buster rhymes oh now i just want to see that movie add it to the list <laughs> like Pretty much you just put like a, a Mike Myers, like William Shatner mask on Oliver Tree and just action. <laughs> well, we can't promise that it slacks. <laughs> right. But, but it's just take watch both and then just picture the new movie do, together. Are, yeah. You you totally need a door prize. If anybody shows up with uh, dressed as Michael Myers in Jinkos, <gasps> there you go. Oh, that's that's, that's good. all right. Oh, that is good. We'll bite. If anybody shows up in a Halloween costume and Jinkos, so Michael Myers, but instead of the jumpsuit, you're wearing Jinkos. You know what? Let, should we up it and say a Limp Biscuit T-shirt too? Oh, <laughs> yeah, dude. with like that steel ball choker. Yeah, necklace. the ball bearing. <laughs> if you can do it, if you really want to go hard. Take that Michael Myers mask and just kind of frost the tips. Oh. <laughs> With an upside down sun visor, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Someone does all that. Absolutely. We'll give them a full festival pass. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. If you can show up looking like Sugar Ray as Michael Myers, you'll get some kind of prize. It'll probably be good. I don't know. Like Mike McGrath. <laughs> uh, oh, somehow I totally flaked on his name. Sorry, 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 Mr. McGrath. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's October seventeenth <laughs> at the Silver Lake Drive-In. You thought I lost the plot? I didn't. Uh, <laughs> and then it's 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 I I do I don't want to say Big Daddy, but. It's it's the reason for the season. It's it's the festival. It, it's anomaly. Dun, dun, dun. November twelfth mm-hmm. through the fifteenth. Um, we met Zach last year at the OG anomaly, the first festival. Oh, that was a blast. That was a ball and a biscuit. I tell you what. <laughs> so stoked to have you. Um, one thing is for certain: nobody rocks a bolo like this guy. I try. I definitely. I, you know, I do what I can. 
looks like a million. You bucks. guys showed some amazing flicks. Like, I mean, VFW. Um, why don't you just die? Like, I just I, like I was so excited when that came uh, to Arrow Video. I was like, yeah. "Fuck yeah! This is, ah, <laughs> this is for the poison anomaly." Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it was. So, it was. It's we had we had a great time. Like we had a great time having you, and then now we're in a virtual space. Yeah, but still, the films are the films are fantastic. Like, which is ultimately, as Matt said, the reason for the season is that we have awesome films. So we're super excited about it. So there you we, go. We just I mean, announced... you can only watch so much OnlyFans, you know what I mean? <laughs> so until you guys start one, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just but, you and a frosted tip, Michael Myers. Just gonna say, it's like we haven't gotten the supplies yet. <laughs> Why don't you unzip those Jenkos? <laughs> we'll get as weird as we need to. We love genre film. But yeah, that's that's the cool thing. We just announced our first four films today. Uh, Baron of Legend Teo or Legend of Baron Teo. Jesus, what the fuck? <laughs> so the Legend of Baron Teo, which is such a blast. Um, Zach, I think you'll dig this one because it's uh, it's the, the timeless story of a man that defends his neighborhood through the, the art of pro wrestling. Um, Ooh, OK, I'm into that. It's dope. It's from uh, it's from New Zealand. It surrounds um, Tongan pro wrestlers. It's great. Oh, dude, yeah, Tongan's uh, like the guys in the uh, uh, they were wrestling New Japan and all that. Yeah, those guys are awesome. You know, like Tama Tonga and yeah, exactly. And I think the lead. Did I just see Adam that they just cast him as young Dwayne Johnson for, yes. for the show? Yeah, yeah, he's got a, like autobiographical series that follows. Like from his childhood through adulthood, and yeah, he's like the the young adult version of of The Rock. So you can see him coming soon, and everybody hates The Rock. Um, if we right. don't get The Rock in outer space for the next Fast and the Furious movie, don't make it. Don't. <laughs> I mean, co-sign that all day. Li- listen, I know he's going to be busy with the XFL, and I wish him a speedy recovery with his COVID infection as well. But if you don't celebrate by going into outer space, then what are you doing for the rest of us? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And if they don't go to outer space, they can't get to the dinosaur installment that I'm waiting for. Like yeah. they go back in time. Oh, that's going to be great. That's what I want. I'm waiting for it. And I feel like the, the linchpin is the outer space first. Right. Cause they and have to, to bring it back the sun to, to go through time. Yeah. And to bring it back to Clive Barker, I will go on record in saying that uh Hellraiser when it t- went to space is probably the best franchise that went to space. <laughs> Just saying, love me some Jason X. I was but, just gonna say, uh, Jason that plays with Cronenberg, and, and you're gonna do that. <laughs> this is how you do me. Come on, I know, and it circles back to Cronenberg. Don't get me wrong, but like Jason X kind of plays like a NC 17 episode of Lex, if you guys oh. remember that 100%. Um, yeah, you're like the, the five other people that are listening to, like, yeah. I had <laughs> channel when it first came out. Yeah. Which, by the way, that's just an episode of Lex. Is <laughs> pretty much. Uh, we've oh. got. If action's not your bag, we've got documentary. We've got the last blockbuster, which is fantastic. It's all about you know the titular last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon. Or, that's or, an Airbnb uh, now, right? I just yes. saw that. Yeah, that is the location that is yeah now an Airbnb. 
which is fascinating. Yeah. They don't if cover take... that in the doc, unfortunately. It cuts off before that point. We've, but we've... the doc is great, and it's super yeah. fun, and it makes you very, very nostalgic for video stores in general. Like, so it makes me makes me miss them. We've got the cautionary tale of why you don't read the comments and the columnist. And for the first time, we've got a, a romance, right? We've got yes. kind of a, a romantic comedy. A romance is only Anomaly can do it, yes. Um, from the... the the annals of, of romantic comedies like When Harry Met Sally and You've Got Mail. <laughs> We're showing Jumbo. <laughs> I love Jumbo. I'm very, very excited about Jumbo. It's about a woman who falls in love with the Tilt-A-Whirl ride at her local amusement park. Oh, okay. That old yarn. It's, yeah, yeah. it's that classic tale of girl meets Tilt-A-Whirl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, it's dreamy and surprisingly sweet mm -hmm. just uh, like you <laughs> and harkens back harkens back to our theme throughout this episode of acceptance <laughs> yes absolutely yeah it's great i love it and that's all happening uh, November 12th through the 15th, check out AnomalyFilmFest.com for all your tickets for everything, the drive-in and the festival. And because you've been such a good sport for sitting through all of our, our, our filthy business that we've done here, Zach, I'm going to leave the last plugs to you. Anything you want to you wanna plug, anything you want to talk about in, in your uh, amazing uh, well, work that you've yeah, done? Yeah, sure. Uh, there's Powerbomb, uh, our feature film that uh, is currently on VOD. You can check that out. Stars Matt Cross. Uh, uh, he was on... Uh, Lucha Underground, uh, Britt Baker, who's currently on AEW, slew of other wrestlers. Um, we just released a short film called Labrys that was on the festival circuit for a while. You can watch that for free online and look for our segment in uh, December, the Christmas horror themed anthology that'll be hopefully coming out soon. Woo! And it was it was screened at Anomaly, so Anomaly approved. <laughs> Labrys and December, <laughs> super yeah. super fun time. And if you're a wrestling fan, absolutely check out Powerbomb, even if you're not, but if you're a wrestling fan, especially, because it's, it's a love yeah. letter to, to independent pro wrestling. Like I've never seen before. It's, it's, it's really great. Um, yeah. so thank you again, Zach, for, for joining us. Thank you again for, for inducting us into the tribe. <laughs> Ab dude, absolutely. This feels like probably one of the most fun AA meetings to ever accidentally stumble into. <laughs> Like, I was just here for free coffee, but, you know, fuck it. Well, <laughs> Talk about Nightbreed. Yeah. That's maybe the nicest thing anybody has ever said about this show. <laughs> so thank you again. You're welcome back anytime. We'd love to have you back if you want to do it. Um, oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll geek out about whatever, whenever. It's, you let me know. It's always a pleasure to get the chance to hang out and, and talk movies and geek out. So thank you again, Zach. Thank you, Matt and Adam. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
All you have to do is go to nominatemeals.com and order a meal for two for $40 that features dishes from one small, typically minority-owned restaurant. We run events at Three Heads Brewing, Fatty Beer Company in the neighborhood of Play, and also Nowhere Lounge in Buffalo. We offer drink pairings for sale that pair with each dish for that night, which really adds to the experience. Go to nominatemeals.com to order your meal for an upcoming event and join the nomination.